Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Tom and Janet, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And running the board for us today is the medically sound John Dunn. Answering the phones is the lovely Irene. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 and Irene will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813 0885. A huge thank you to everyone who helped us last week in exceeding our fundraising goal. Um, we really appreciate everyone who gave, especially uh, Karen, who um, really helped push us over our goal, and Chris Sherman, who donated a fantastic poster that went as a, a thank you gift. Um, you can still give, whether to Wavemakers or to WMNF. WMNF depends on the generosity of, of listeners like you to keep us on the air. So if Donate to your favorite show or just to WMNF in general, and it is much appreciated. Our guest today is Sylvia Campbell, a surgeon who has been making waves for decades by helping the medically underserved in the Tampa Bay region and around the world. She is the medical director and president of the Judeo-Christian Health Clinic in Tampa. She's the co-founder of the Village Partners International, a group of medical professionals helping people in Haiti, Uganda, and the Tampa Bay area. In 1999, Sylvia received the Good Samaritan Award from the Florida Medical Association. In 2018, she was inducted into the Hillsborough County Women's Hall of Fame. In recognition of being the county's first female general surgeon and for her service around the world. Earlier this year, she was inducted into the West Coast Girl Scouts Women of Distinction Hall of Fame. She used to have a Winston Churchill quote hanging on her office wall. If you make a living out of what you get, you make a life out of what you give. Dr. Campbell, you have certainly given a lot. Welcome to Wavemakers. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I don't know how you got that quote off my wall. It's the magic of Google. (laughs) You've been written about quite a bit. And there's a lot to talk about. And later in the show, we really want to hear your story, including what it was like being part of one of the first University of South Florida um, class of medical students. Um, You were among the first group there, correct? That's right. Um, But let's start with Village Partners International, which is really your passion project. Um, And this is an organization of volunteers that has helped develop uh, medical clinics, community health programs, clean water programs, mobile clinics, and malnutrition treatment programs in Haiti and Uganda. Um, Tell us how all of that started. It goes all the way back to 1995 with a, a little boy in Haiti. Well, my first trip to Haiti was in 1996, and in 1998, we had a 18-month-old little baby who had a 40% total body surface area burn, which even here would be potentially lethal. And in the mountains of northeast Haiti, getting help was almost impossible. I mean, that was before cell phones or anything. We were able, with the help of so many people, um, to bring him back 
to Tampa, treat him, and then take him home to his parents, which was an incredibly rewarding experience that I could talk about for hours, but I won't. Um, how, well, how did you find him? I mean, how did he... Because you, we were at the medical clinic there doing surgery, actually. I was in the middle of an operation when his mother brought him there. She had crossed two rivers carrying him from the mountains, walking to get there. It took her a couple and of And how was he burned? He... Well, you know, they don't have electricity there. They were cooking on a a fire outside, and it was a pot of hot water that he grabbed and pulled over on Mm. him. Yeah, it was was really dramatic. And you were there with um, a a group? or Yes, I was there with uh, the Presbyterian Church at a little medical clinic there that subsequently Village Partners International has grown in to take over from. But um, we were there. My pastor was with me. And we were able to get him home. I was, it was such a moving story, and so many different people contributed that I wrote about it in the American College of Surgeons Bulletin. And that particular bulletin article somehow got to a doctor's office in Uganda. Mm. And remember the millennium, everything was going to change, right? Well, <laughs> on New Year's Eve of the millennium, I got an email that said, I'm a 15-year-old total orphan. Both my parents died of AIDS. I have a hole in my heart. It's gotten so bad I can't even walk across the room, and there's no way I can get help here. My uncle found this article where you helped a boy in Haiti, and I'm writing to see if you can help me. Mm. And it was just, I had a 15-year-old daughter. It was real powerful. So I went to church that night because we had a a service because it was the millennium, right? And I told my pastor, "We we have to help this girl. I mean, there's no question. We have to help her. And with the help of St. Joseph's Hospital, the Gift of Life program, the Rotary Club, we were able to bring her over here. And she and her uncle stayed with us for about six weeks. Um, We took them to our church, got real involved, wanted to help, and began to understand that the way you really help people is not to do things for them, but to give them the tools so they can do them for themselves. And therefore, they obtain sustainability. Teach them how to fish rather exactly. than giving them a fish. Yeah, exactly. You know, we don't do things for you. We will help you do them for yourself. And over the years, other people wanted to become involved, and that's where the concept of developing Village Partners International, which would become more inclusive and expansive. So anybody that was interested in helping others in other parts of the world, and these were just the doors that were open to us. There's many places in the world that need help, but these were the doors that were open to us. And in 2007, we actually formed Village Partners International with an interdenominational group. It's not just the Presbyterian Church. There are other churches and other groups that are involved in what we do. And we've been able to do the work in Haiti, Uganda, and then more recently in the streets of Tampa with the homeless population. And we'll talk about all of those. Do you, are, are you still going to those locations? You got you travel to Haiti and Uganda. How does that work? Well, I've been to Uganda about six times. I haven't been recently as so far. And with the internet, we're able to communicate quite well. We still support all the programs there and get the reports and all of that. We have a nonprofit in the little village of Popoli, Uganda, that we work with, nonprofit to nonprofit. Um, in Haiti, I've probably been over 30 times to Haiti, but the last trip was in 2020, right before the lockdown. And right now, Haiti's not very stable. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing that's happened in Haiti was that instead of going there to operate and do the things we did, last year we supported a group of Haitian doctors 
to be able to go up to the mountains to operate and do the things to take care of their own people, which is really what you want to do. You want to make yourself not needed. You want to make it something that is included in their own culture. So, and how is that 15-year-old girl doing now? She's great. She got her master's. As she's just doing great. She's working in the capital, Kampala. Martha is her name, and she's like my second daughter, third oh, daughter. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she's just wonderful. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I noticed you talk about one of your, you're talking about that, about helping people help themselves, and your values say that um, in partnering with Village, we respect their values, history, and abilities. We honor their dignity. We serve as a direct conduit for gifts to positively change villages one life at a time. Can you talk about that, about the values, history, and abilities? How does that, what does that look like? Well, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that there's a quote, and I can't remember it exactly, but it says something to the effect of whenever you walk into someone else's home, make sure you take off your shoes because where you step may be sacred ground. Hmm. It's important to remember when you go to another place, another country, another culture, that you're stepping into their world. And you need to accept their world, not try to bring your world to them, but rather go into their world. And perhaps you can teach them some things so that they can improve their world if it needs to be improved. But you also have to understand that that this is their culture. Mm -hmm. This is their dignity. This is their way of doing things. Maybe you can teach them what you know, and they can teach you too. Show them your tools and they decide which ones they want to use. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you about the Haitian boy. How is he doing? He's great. He's great. <laughs> Actually, it's a really cool story because yep. his older brother went to medical school with support of people that go to Haiti. And he went all the way from, they put him through private school, they put him through high school, they put him through college, and they put him through med school. And now he's working outside of Capetian to take care of the people in his community. And he comes back to Mom and Crochu as well. But isn't that a cool story? Wow, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. You, uh, you have taken the meaning of uh, act, uh, think globally and act locally to think globally and act globally. and. Well, and you also have to act locally. You know, when I was a resident, I really wanted to do something to help somewhere. And back then, the programs were like three years commitment, and I couldn't do that. So that's when I started working at the Judeo Christian Health Clinic here in town. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, you know, you don't have to go outside your own community to find the need. It's right there in your own backyard. And so working in your own local communities is really important. When I went to Haiti, I realized that some of the skills and tools that I'd been given over my career and my training could be used in a way that could help people that didn't have access to that kind of care. And so that would be the global help. And then working with the homeless, I mean, that's been an incredibly rewarding gift to all of us, the friends that we've made on the streets. Um, Well, let's talk about a little bit about that. Tell us, that's kind of an interesting story about how that program came about for the homeless in the Tampa Bay area. Tell us how that came about. Well, I, um, as I got older, my practice, because I was a woman surgeon, I had a very large practice that concentrated on breast cancer. And I began walking the Susan G. Komen 60 mile walk in 2006. I did it every year except this year. 
It's 60 miles in three days is a long walk. It's a long walk. It's a long walk, especially when we did it in San Diego because, I mean, you went straight up. I thought I couldn't breathe by the time <laughs> you got up there. But you have to train. And in training, a lot of the people that did the walk with me had gone through the journey of breast cancer and come out on the other side, and they were doing the walk to get back. And when we were walking and training, walking through downtown, we saw so many people on the river walk and on the bay shore and in the streets and by, by buildings that were homeless and sleeping on the concrete, and they were invisible to all the people that went by. People would run by and ride bikes and do all that stuff. And we were like, you know, this, this is really... These are people, too. And then when we were in Philadelphia at the walk there, it was freezing cold and raining for three days. Um, And there were so many people that were homeless on the streets in Philadelphia, young people, not just older people. And so we started giving them food, and we stopped and got coffee because it was so cold. And when we came back, we decided in 2016 that we were going to start doing something to help the homeless on the streets of Tampa. And we started every time we'd go out on Saturday to train, we'd take food with us. And it grew during the pandemic, we started taking public gift cards to give autonomy to the people so that they're not just taking a gift from you, but they can get what they need and get what they feel like they want, whether it's batteries, whether it's a hot meal, you know, whether like Randy said last week, I can't wait to get my Southern potato salad, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and once a month we have cards that we fill up with bags full of toiletries and supplies and clothing and we, books, glasses, Coffee, hot coffee. Hot coffee's worth a million dollars if you're sleeping on the streets. Right. And this summer we started freezing the water so it would be cold when we take it to them. We just take whatever we can. We're so lucky. So many people in our community support us and give us donations and gifts. And every time I come home, there's a bag of some clothes or socks or shoes. It's and and really where nice. do you go to provide these uh, services? Um, we walk on the streets in Bayshore. We walk, river walk. We we do it on foot, and we connect with these people one-on-one, which is really the way you do it. You know, we know their names. We ask their names. We tell them our names. We talk Randy, to them. who wants the Southern potato salad. Exactly. You've mm-hmm. got it. <laughs> and some, you know, there's different levels of homelessness. Some of the people can't be in a crowd. Some people for are there for a short time because of events that have occurred in their life that they really couldn't control, and they've lost their housing. And we've seen that increase so much in the last couple of years. Um, there are there's a small percentage of people that you might not want to encounter, but that's really a small amount of people. These are wonderful people, and they've become our friends. I mean, we know them. They look for us, you know. They talk to us. They tell us their stories. We tell them ours, and we share, you know, person to person. How many of you is it that's going out and doing that as a group? Uh, it varies from two or three to eight or nine, you know, but there's so many more people that help us not just the people that are able to pull a heavy cart and walk. Now, when you're homeless, your, your health care must be very um, yeah. iffy, if it exists at all. When you encounter them, are you also, you know, giving them advice on their health? Or Well, yes, I, I do. Um, most of them by now know that I have some kind of medical training. I mean, I don't tell people what I do. Okay. But, you know, but if they have a problem, I try to help them get it addressed. And I have been able to get some of the people into, into care that was needed pretty significantly. If you're just tuning in, we're talking, talking to Dr. Sylvia Campbell, um, who is a co-founder of Village Partners International, a group of volunteers 
that um, provides medical care and other services to people in Uganda and Haiti and around the Tampa Bay area. If you um, have a comment or a question, you want to know how you have ideas about how you might be able to help, you can send us an email to dj at wmnf.org or you can call us at 813-239-9663. And you have a fan letter here, Dr. Campbell. It says, Dr. Campbell is an amazing soul who walks the walk and has helped so many all over the world as well as locally for the homeless in Tampa. The money you give actually goes to where it is needed. Much love and support to Dr. Campbell and her team. So that's a nice, a nice love letter to you. Make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) You and you talk about it says um, your focus areas. We've talked about medical care and entrepreneurship, but you also help with education and housing. Is that how does that work? Is that something that you? Do work with as Village Partners International? Um, We tend to do more medical. Now, housing and education, we've kind of shared that with Palmasia Presbyterian Church. They've been more involved in that aspect. But because we wanted to do something that was separate from what they were doing, but we support each other. Mm -hmm. We we are one of the nonprofits that's supported by Palmasia Presbyterian Church and other churches around the country, not just here in Tampa. but we tend to focus more on the medical, the public health issues, the clean water, malnutrition for infants and babies, um, you know, getting the shots. We were able to get COVID vaccinations out to people up in the mountains. And those are really important things. Well, yeah, and you, you mentioned the water and malnutrition. You talk about that's something that's going on in Haiti. How does that work? How do you help them with that? Well, the malnutrition program is something I'm really proud of. In 2018, some of the elders of the village told us that they'd lost 25 babies the year before from starvation, basically. And we began to look into what we could do to help. And since then, we've grown this malnutrition program where we truly do intervene. We have nurses that go out into the community, measure the you know, you have the body fat, and they, there's a certain formulas by height and weight, and mm-hmm. you can determine what degree of malnutrition the child has. And then if they're sick enough, we bring them back to the hospital, and you can't just feed these children. You have to give them special food. You have to give them special type of reintroducing food into their gut. And the best thing that happened this year was that they had a, a get-together of all the kids that have graduated at the hospital from the malnutrition program, and there were all these kids. And it was so cool to see them and realize, you know, that that you really did make a difference. And it's not just the survival. If you're not being nourished, then your brain is not going to develop. Your body's not going to develop. Your bones aren't going to develop. You're not going to have a healthy life in the future. So not only are you intervening in a life-threatening situation, you're also helping to give them a future they might not have had without that. As far as the clean water, the people up there were getting all their water from the streams that are contaminated and horrible. So we worked with um, one of the people that actually we've known for years and years and years while he went through school, Vincent. And he developed this way to inexpensively capture the water from the stream so it goes into a cistern. And monthly, they put chlorine in it, and it has a top that you can go down to check the quality of the water. And then it's got a little tube that comes out the side that you can take the end piece off, and they can get their water there instead of having to go down to the stream where it's all contaminated. So we built a lot of those, and probably getting water to 50,000 people up there that they weren't able to get clean water. To. When you say you built them, you mean you had teams that helped no, support them? No, no, we them. didn't build them. Yeah. We funded funded. 
the it was really important that they do it themselves. Uh, yes. You know, they need to have ownership because if you have ownership then you want it to work and right. you want it to be sustainable. And it was his idea, the guy and who it was, was his in, idea. Yeah. He developed the idea, he created the program, he went out to the villagers in the certain areas where they worked and where it's able to have them all contribute and build. The same thing with the school uh the in Uganda, the we have a, a pediatric safe house and a maternity clinic that was built by the people in the village. We gave the funding for that, but they made their own bricks. They went down to the river to get the sand. They brought it back. I mean, they have ownership in those things, and therefore they want them to, to be successful. What is, what is a pediatric safe house? Well, as you know, Uganda has had a lot of problems with HIV, and they lost a whole generation, basically. And so many of the children had HIV and weren't able to be treated. Many of them were being raised by elderly grandmothers because they'd lost their parents. And I went over there um, to talk to them about what we could do medically. And one of the first things that we found that would be helpful was to build a place for children to be able to come, to get nutrition, to get treated, you know, to get the kind of things that we take for granted that they don't get. And so now it's focusing primarily on children with HIV or malaria. They have a place they can go, they can be cared for. And then we have the maternity clinic because there was really no prenatal care. And now they get the prenatal and the antenatal, perinatal care, and safe deliveries can occur there in that clinic where they have the nurse midwives and a doctor comes once a week to check on things at both places. And they also have an elderly care outpatient clinic there as well for people. You um, said earlier that you know, there's a, a whole team of people that help um, I know, let's talk a little bit about your board, who's on your board of directors, one of whom is your daughter. That's right. Megan, so what's that like to be working on this with her? That must be kind of cool to be working on your daughter, with your daughter on a project like this. Oh, she's such a great help. She's an incredible artist, and she's done all most of the artwork for us, and she's always always there to help. She's also extremely organized <laughs> and is, I guess that's her art. I don't know. She's She's just capable of doing it, just about anything, I think. So it's really nice to see. You know, you want to grow the young people into having the kind of feeling that they need to help the world. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to include young people because as you get older, you you know, we're not all going to be here forever, but you want the work that you do to continue. The best thing you can do if you're running something is make yourself not needed. Right. <laughs> so you want to grow people that will take over the reins and you can step back and say, okay, take it. It's yours. So it's really nice having her on there. That's cool. Um, so how you, you, a lot of this is about supporting the organization. Let's talk about how to support Village Partners International. You have an event coming up um, and you're calling it the Hippie Bash. That is, I think it's, it's your 10th annual Hippie Bash. That's right. And that's coming up on November 3rd at the West Shore Yacht and Country Club. And tell us about that. What do you have planned and, and, uh, and for that event? Well, we, we have a fall fundraiser every year. It's our biggest fundraiser. It's how we get most of the funds that support all of these programs. We have other grants that we apply for and donations, but that's our big fundraiser. So we really hope it's successful. We've had a hippie bash for a long time. I mean, I probably had something to do with that, right? <laughs> but uh, the nice thing is you don't have to get dressed up. You can just wear old blue jeans. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. We have a DJ. We have 
a silent auction. We have a bike raffle. We're going to have a wine pool. We've got a market with items from from Haiti and Uganda and other places where you can purchase little things. It's just a lot of fun. And the nicest thing about it is that I call it you party with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of being a, I say, have come to our fundraiser and be a fundraiser <laughs> or come to our fundraiser and be a fundraiser, mm -hmm. however you want to put it. But it's just, it's really a great way to be able to try to make a difference in the world. You know, right now, I think we all need to look for light. Well, do you also look for folks to uh, offer up time to help you, especially with the homeless? Uh, right. Um, anybody that wants to go walking with us is welcome to come. All they have to do is contact me. Uh, they can contact me through our webpage or they can contact me through uh, my email address, which are on our cards. I can give to anybody that wants it or they can any way that they want to contact me. Village, yep. Village Partners International, org. Right, www. all one word, Village Partners International. International.org. So, and that's also, you can get get your ticket also for the, the Hippie Bash, right. which includes um, hors d'oeuvres and two drinks. Um, and then you're also going to be honoring Russell Johnson. This is, I understand, your second year of, of giving the um, Peacekeeper Award. So tell That's us right. about Russell Johnson, who's going to be honored at the um, Hippie Bash on November 3rd. Russell is an amazing human, as my daughter would say. He's a good human. <laughs> um, he has spent his entire life trying to help underprivileged children. Uh, he was in charge of the Tampa Urban Young Life for years. He still works with underserved and underprivileged children in our community in the inner city area. And he just has made a huge impact on the lives of so many people. We're just so blessed to have him here in our community. And we feel like, you know, keeping, making peace is one thing, but keeping it is another. And the way you keep it is to educate the youth give them an opportunity they might not have had, give them a life they might not have had, and be an example to them, and he really is. He seems like somebody we should have on Wave Makers. You should. He seems like <laughs> a Wave Maker. That's just the kind of person that we like to feature on the show are people who are making a difference in the community and trying to make the world a better place. Last year was the first year that you did the Peacekeeper Award, and that went to Patty Moses. Tell That's us correct. about Patty. Patty is a woman also who has spent her life working with children. Waymaker, have her on the show. <laughs> she have her on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, she's, Patty is an unsung hero because she never lets people know all the stuff she does. She kind of is in the background, doesn't really ask for recognition or anything, but quietly does things to change all the world around her and really has made a difference with children in this community. So, so villagepartnersinternational.org, if you go to that website, you can get information about the Hippie Bash on November 3rd, get your tickets, as well as find out how to connect with the organization if you want to contribute or um, participate in um, a physical way. So um, we'll talk about that again later in the show. We'll make sure that we remind people about that. But you mentioned earlier about the Judeo-Christian Health Clinic. So you're the president and medical director there, but you got involved, you've been involved there for a long time because you said you started when you were in, at USF. Right, USF, I know that, Yeah, so tell us about, about that. What does the Judeo-Christian Judeo Health Clinic do? Where are they? And How long and, have they been around? Who started it? The Judeo-Christian Health Clinic started in 1972 by Reverend Jim Holmes in a Sunday school building at the Presbyterian Church there, St. John's Presbyterian Church, which is across from Women's Hospital. Which is where? What part of town is that Women's in? Hospital. It's um, right by St. Joseph's St. Joseph's, okay. Off of uh, Martin Luther King. West mm -hmm. Tampa, yep. Yeah. And 
it now has grown into one of the largest free clinics in the Southeast. We service about 30 to 35 patient visits a year. That's not patients, but patient visits. We have a fully functioning pharmacy. We have all kinds of specialties. Not Wait, how many a year? You, how many a year do you serve? 30 to 35,000. Okay. 35,000. Okay, right. yeah. Okay, you said 30 to 35,000. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, it is. And we have specialists that come to the clinic. We also have patients sent to specialist offices and they see them. The St. Joseph's Hospital allows us to care for the patients there. Um, These are people, these are the medically indigent in our community, the people that make too much money to qualify for support from the government but can't afford to purchase health care. Insurance and the uninsured, the medically uninsured, are are growing as you can imagine. Yeah, so that's what I'm curious about that. Is what are the numbers? Have there been more? Have you seen? Is it changed since Obamacare, or has that not made a difference? Or what? Yeah, what I don't think it's made much of a difference. Obamacare is a wonderful thing. It's, I support it, hundred percent. But unfortunately, if you buy the, because our state doesn't have the additional support. Um, that other states have. If you buy the even the bronze plan, you're you're ending up with a huge deductible. Right. And just to buy your medications is extremely expensive. Some people can't afford it. Um, you know, they really can't as much as they would like to. But we have a fully functioning pharmacy where people can get their medications. And I are the medications free or yeah. Oh, free. okay. The thing that's amazing to me as the medical director, I have to check the things going on in the pharmacy, the people, the number of prescriptions that we give for people with high blood pressure, diabetes, and cardiac or pulmonary problems is the majority. And when you think about it, most of those people would not survive without this clinic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they wouldn't. How can you get diabetic medication if you don't have a place to go to get it? If your blood pressure is off the wall, you're going to have a stroke. You know, um, if you can't breathe... Right. You, know, you have an asthma attack or something, or you've got horrible COPD or something like that. But the clinic gives them a safe refuge where they can go and be cared for and treated just like any other patient in any other office. You know, we make a real point of treating all of our patients with dignity and respect. And how long? You've been involved with that now for how long? Since 1980. That's a long time. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Um, and you're... and. Have you seen changes over that time? What can you talk about how things have changed or is it just oh, the same? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's different in 2023 versus 1980? Well, if you just look at the structure, when we first started, we were in trailers that had been thrown away, basically. I mean, there were holes in the floor. The pharmacy was a closet and you'd walk in there and you'd say, okay, I need something for blood pressure. What do we have? And now it's, it's truly a functioning very, very efficient, very well run by Kelly Bell, our executive director, clinic that that is extremely careful to do what's right for people. And we're open to anybody that comes there. If they come there and they don't qualify for our clinic, we try to get them to a place where they can get care. So... Um, we've got another email um, from somebody who says, driving over from Gainesville November 3rd to attend the Hippie Bash, the first Hippie Bash. Um, so excited to attend and help continue giving to Village Partners International, an amazing organization. So sadly, Tom and I will not be in town for that. But next year, 
perhaps we will be able to attend. For the 11th Hippie Bash. <laughs> the 11th, exactly. We'll be there for the 11th Hippie Bash. Now, how did you end up uh, taking the uh, clinic from the level it was at to where it is today? It must have taken a combination of a lot of work by volunteers, but a lot of money, too. How did that happen? Right. Well, you know, the thing about the Judeo-Christian Health Clinic that I'm most proud of is that it's the people of Tampa Bay taking care of the people of Tampa Bay. You know, we have a huge donor base. We have grants that we write. We get support from a lot of different philanthropic organizations. Uh, we had a huge fundraising campaign to build the building that we're in now back in 2000. And it's, it's just an amazing place. It's just a place where miracles occur. And the people in our community take care of the people in our community. And what a great statement about Tampa, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it really is. How do people find it, the people who need it? How do they get referred there? Well, they can be referred from the hospitals. We get patients from like Tampa Family Clinic because they don't have some of the specialties that we have. Other organizations know about us. Doctors' offices know about us. The HCMA knows about us. And... You know, and we have so many volunteer doctors and nurses and other medical personnel. We have dentists, we have ophthalmologists, we have pharmacists that come and volunteer their time. It's very and small I just want to staff. repeat that the largest free clinic in the one south, of the largest, one of the largest in the southeastern United States. That's that's very cool. Um, when we come back, I want we want to talk more about your journey and how you ended up becoming the person that you are. But let's um, take a break right now and hear a little bit about some of the great programming here on WMNF. If you love classic soul, R and B, Caribbean, gospel, hip hop, or house music, and if you love podcasting and exclusive interviews. If you love urban culture and urban music, then you will really love the Urban Cafe channel. You can find it here on HD2 if you have an HD2 radio, or you can go to WMNF.org and download our mobile app so that you can listen to it all the time. So... Urban Cafe on HD Radio. It's one of um, Tom and Tom and I love listening to it. Tune in, no matter when you tune in, you will hear something fantastic. I finally got a car with HD channels, so it's uh, opened up my world to all sorts of uh, possibilities. Um, so, Dr. Campbell, let's talk a little bit about your personal journey and how um, I used to work at USF. In fact, I worked in the medical school for um, seven years. I worked in the Health Sciences Center. Um, and, well, let's just start with how you ended up being in medical school. You told me that you were there when they were teaching in trailers at, right. at, the, at the medical school. But how did you come from... Tom? Now let's go back even further. You grew up in Orlando. Orlando, yeah. Well, I grew up in Orlando. Great, grew so, up in Orlando. I was born in Orlando, and then when I was in third grade, we moved to Winter Park. And so I spent the rest of the time in Winter Park. And uh, how did you end up uh, at USF? Where did you go to uh, uh, undergraduate school? I went to Emory in Atlanta, and I got my master's there. And I thought I was going to be a scientist, but... Um, a marine biologist. Right, because yeah. I love the ocean. But I, I just didn't like being in a lab all the time, you know. I like interacting with people and feeling like I could do something to help people. And all, as important as it is that we have those things, my daughter does that. She's got her PhD, but I just And works felt, for the 
Fish and Wildlife Commission. Yes, yep. she does. Yep. But uh, I, I just felt like I wanted to do something where I was interacting with people one-on-one. So. And so you opted to go into, into medicine. Right. At a time when there were not a lot of women in medicine. No, there were not very many women in medicine. And so wh- how did you find that in yourself to decide to pursue a degree in medicine? What did, I mean, were you... Well, it, I you had, never questioned for, for you. It was just like this is what I want to do, and nothing's going to hold me back. Or kind of, yeah. You know, I, the way I was raised was if there's something you want to do, do it. You know that that nothing should tell you you can't do it. You you should be in control of what it is that you want to do. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my father was an engineer. He had a machine company, built roads and stuff like that. My mother stayed home. There were five of us. So. Oh, five. Yeah, okay, um, and. Tell us about medical school and going to USF there in those early days. Like I said, I, I worked there and it was just, you know, a real point of pride to watch that medical school grow. And I mean, Moffitt Cancer Center wasn't there or anything. I yeah. I mean, it's just... There wasn't much there at all. Were you in right. the first uh, medical class? No, no. But I was in the first one to go into the new building, which is now the old building. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think it was the third class, maybe third. And how many women were in the class with you? About four. <laughs> uh, there were... Not very many women. There were, it was a really small percentage back then, but um, you, it, it was a great experience. I think one of the things that helped me was that I never let the fact that I was a woman stand in the way of doing what I wanted to do. You know, I never let anybody tell me, well, you can't do that because girls don't do that. Or you're a woman, you can't do that. Did anybody was, tell you that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Can yes, you give us some examples? Well, one of the earliest examples was when I was working at a hospital before I went to, I worked as a ward clerk at a hospital and there was a cardiologist there that I admired so much. And when I told him I was applying to med school, he said, oh no, you you don't need to go to med school, go to be a nurse. Nurses are wonderful. Without nurses, we couldn't do anything, but that wasn't where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what do you mean? I was like, how dare you? You know, uh, when I was applying for my residency in Memphis, I went to the surgery program there, and the chairman of the department said to me, "So, when you get pregnant, you're going to drop out?" Oh my gosh! I said, "What? I don't want to come here." <laughs> so, so, oh, so you didn't go there? Did you? Did well, you? I went to USF. Oh, okay. So that's why you, how you ended up at USF. Did you ever let the cardiologist know that he ignored no. him? And, okay. No. <laughs> you know, you can't change people. So why USF? They had a brand new program. Uh, you were at Emory. Um, well, my husband was in the military paying back. He was on a, a ROTC scholarship in college, and he had to go, and they sent him to Korea. So he was in Korea. My parents were in Orlando, and his parents were in Tampa. So while I was in med school, he was in the Army. He didn't even see me graduate from med school. So, huh. But it, it made sense for me to come here and be near people that could support me. And surgery in particular. So, you know, medical school, one thing, there are only four women in your class, but you must have been the only female training as a surgeon. I actually know there was another woman with me. Our chairman, Dr. Sherman, was much more open to letting women. She went into hand surgery, but um, he, he was just very supportive of us. He really was, and that was wonderful. I I initially thought I was going to be an internist because I have my master's in molecular genetics and it made sense, but uh, I like fixing things and I love the OR and I love the camaraderie. And, and I thought, you know, if I get stranded on a desert island somewhere and somebody has appendicitis <laughs> and I'm an internist, I can't really help them. But 
I could help him if I'm a surgeon, right? So Well, but. it's just stunning because I I see you as a contemporary of mine and to think that you are, you know, are recognized for being the first general sur- female general surgeon in Hillsborough County it just stuns me. But then I, I think back on when I was pregnant and I went to my um, OBGYN who was a male and told him about my birth plan. I had been reading about birth plans and I told him about my birth plan and he's like, you're not going to want to do that. Have you ever had a baby? And I'm like, no, have, have you? you? <laughs> like, and I left that practice and went to an all women's OBGYN group and then did that for the rest of, you know, my, my adult life. And, but it was, you know, it's just amazing what you end up facing. And, um, just today or just yesterday or recently, last week, whatever it was, there was a woman, first woman to win a Nobel Prize in economics on her own. Um, so there's, there's so much more to do, you know? Do you, do you feel that for oh. women? I mean, so far to go, I guess not because oh, you yeah. don't feel... Well, you know, I, I, think, I think that every person should be allowed to follow their dream. And you shouldn't be held back by your sex, by your race, by your societal place. You know, you should be allowed to follow your dream. And I think women should be allowed to follow their dream just as other people should be allowed to follow their dream and not be held back. Unfortunately, things aren't always that way, but it should be. And know. yeah, and there's a right now the phenomenon, there's this uh, pop culture phenomenon of the book Chemistry Lessons and the the TV show now, which is about a woman who is a brilliant chemist and is um, basically put down for being a woman. And then, of course, we live in a time right now where, you know, you think that we've come so far, but what we're seeing happening, I think, politically, I know you probably don't want to talk about politics, but it is, you know, it's not a good time for women right now um, in the United States. And I wonder, actually, as a medical professional, with all the conversations that, that we're having about abortion, what are you, are you, do you get involved in that, or does that concern you? Uh, yes, it concerns me a great deal. I think that politics and religion and politics and medicine don't necessarily mix, and they should be separate. Um, I think women should be in control of their destiny, you know, and not be told what they have to do by other people. If you're uh, just uh, tuning in, our guest today is Sylvia Campbell, who is uh, co-founder of Village Partners International, a nonprofit group that helps uh, people in need with their health care in Haiti and Uganda and in Tampa and who knows where you're going to be going next. If you'd like (laughs) to join the conversation, please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or Email us at dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. And Dr. Campbell also is um, the first um, female general surgeon in Hillsborough County. And we're talking a little bit about um, women and, and what it's like to be a woman in today's world. What do you tell your daughters? What have you instilled in your daughters about what they can accomplish? Well, I have never told them that they couldn't do something they wanted to do as far as long as you know they were willing to work for it. My oldest daughter is um, she was one of the co-founders of a group called Fish Hurries, Women in Fish Hurries. Oh, Fish Hurries. Okay. Right, because there aren't very many women 
that do the kind of research in fishery science that she's involved in. Mm-hmm. And so now it's an international group, but she's pursued that. And it's things like, you know, you're out on a boat in the middle of the ocean with a bunch of guys, where are you going to go to the bathroom, right? Are the the oil slick suits that you wear when you're out there, they're all made for men, mm. <laughs> things like that. They're addressing all of those kind of things. So I'm very proud of her because she's standing up for women in her career field. Mm-hmm. And my second daughter's teaching. She's an art teacher, and she's helping to develop the ability for children to explore the possibilities that lie in front of them. And, you know... Well, teaching a very giving profession, I always say that's just God's work. I um, had briefly considered being a teacher, and I went to um, HCC and started taking some classes, and then I did an internship, and it's like, this is so hard. It is so hard, so demanding. I'm just being with a room full of kids where I felt like any moment things were going to break out into chaos. <laughs> it was that, but also, you know, it, it's it's hard work. That so is so important, an, yet uh, so little valued by so the amount of money that we pay them. Yeah. Oh, I know. Teachers are the unsung heroes of they are our community, of our country, of our world, because they're creating the next generation. Um, let's go to the phones. We've got um, Mario on the line. Mario from um, Down and Dirty. He's got a great show here on WMNF on sa- on Fridays. With um, John Dingfelder. With John Dingfelder. Mario, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Thank you for the plug, guys. We're working our way towards great. We're good now. We're working our way towards great, but thank you for that. Uh, I just wanted to say that I've been listening this morning, and I have a, a, a direct link to Dr. Campbell and the incredible work that she does. My sister-in-law, she she helped my sister-in-law in in a moment of need. Let's put it that way. She performed a surgery uh, when my sister-in-law was uh, without the proper health care, and uh, and we came to the Judeo uh, Christian uh, Health Clinic, and and our life changed. And and all the work that Kelly Bell does there, in fact, I just got through talking with Kelly because I said you guys are being well-represented this morning. And, uh, and I just wanted to say, Dr. Campbell, so great to hear your voice. Thank you again for the incredible work that you do in our community. Talk about one of our unsung heroes. You've got probably one of the biggest wave makers to be on your show this morning. So kudos to you guys. And, um, and I'm just going to continue to listen. Thanks for sharing the love this morning. And um, keep up the great work. Thanks, Mario. We're trying to make her sung, not unsung. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and are you, uh, what about, your daughters, but what message do you have out there for young women in general about what they can accomplish? Well, you know, I think that if you follow your passion, then you'll be fine. You know, your passion may change, your dream may change as you walk through the path that that lies in front of you. You never, none of us know where we're going to end up. But if there's something that you really feel is where you need to be, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. You know, go for it. Try it. You might not like it. It might not fit. You might say, ah, this isn't, I don't want to be a teacher, mm-hmm. right? Well, but like at you, least you, you tried. You were going to be a, a marine I was bio- going to be a marine biologist, biologist but and, I didn't, you know. And you shifted. Right. One of my favorite quotes that I mentioned earlier is from Steve Jobs, where he says, you never know how the dots are going to interconnect until you look back, mm-hmm. you know. And we never know what it is on our path that's taken us to the next place, that's taken us where we need to be in the final place 
mm-hmm. when we end. And yeah, go for it. You, you have mentioned um, the, the policy of Presbyterian Church where you're very involved and other church support. How much of the work that you do is uh, driven uh, by the work you do in the churches or your, or your faith? I think that my faith tells me that I need to do what I can to make the world a better place. I can't change the world. But if you can change the world around you, you know, maybe that's enough. I can't fix what's wrong, but maybe I can fix the person right in front of me. And they might fix somebody else. And then they might fix somebody else. And maybe you've made a difference. I think that to live without faith would be such a difficult, difficult way to live, no matter what your faith is. Um, But you ended up at a church that also believes in that. And I assume that's why you're there. That's right. That's right. My pastor, John Debevoise, is probably one of the most incredible humans I've ever met. And he's on the board of Village Partners International. He, he believes whenever you're doing things, and this is his mantra, first you connect, then you commit, and then you continue. Because if you don't, then you might do more harm than good. You know, if you connect with people that have need and you say, oh, I'm going to help you, but then you don't follow through and continue on to the next level, you really can cause more harm than good. But do you ever get kind of like, frustrated that you can't solve these problems? I mean, for example, you've been working on the homeless um, challenges for so many years, and it does seem intractable. And I I read so many nasty comments online from people about the homeless, and they don't want them around them. They don't want to see them. Um, Does that ever get you down and and make you think, I just can't do this anymore? No, because they're my friends, you know? I mean, these are my friends. I've developed relationships with them. And, you know, we, we know we're not fixing the homeless problem. We're not trying to. We're not building houses. We're not putting, necessarily taking the people off the streets and putting them into situations. All we're trying to do is act as a bridge. People that, for reasons that they didn't plan on, for reasons that they had no control over, they're there. They're hungry. They're cold. They just need somebody to see them as a human being, talk to them, give them dignity and respect. And a lot of times... That's enough during that time to give them the impetus to move on. Not everybody's going to. That's, some of them don't want to. No, I mean, they're they not capable for whatever reason, that they right. prefer living on the streets, but it doesn't mean, I mean, they just don't fit in to what our expectations are as a society. That's exactly uh, right. But it doesn't mean that they don't deserve clothing and food and comforts. That's exactly whatever right. Whatever their comfort is, if that's you know, being with a shopping cart and sleeping on the ground. I think that there's, I mean, I've talked to some people about it. There's a certain freedom there. I mean, I feel like they feel like there's a certain kind of a a freedom there, not having to be part of this sort of crazy world that so many of us, the hamster wheel that we're all on, you know. That's right. I'm sure a lot of people talk to you about that when you're talking to them. Exactly. You know, it's, it's really hard. But there are, there are folks who say you, you should not be doing that kind of thing. You're just encouraging them to stay on the street. You, That's exactly right. And what I've, do you only say had, to them? I've only had one person say that to me while we were out walking, and that was actually a few weeks ago. And she said that what we were doing was wrong. You know, you're just, you're just making these people be here. And she lives on a huge high rise in downtown. And, you know, you look at her, and the way I 
feel is that I have to feel sorry for her mm -hmm. because she doesn't see anything except what's right in front of her. When I hear people say that, it makes me think about them saying you shouldn't give dog table, a dog table scraps. That's what I hear because you're going to encourage bad behavior, you know? I just, it's so inhumane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's inhumane. I, I mean, you know, you, you just want to say, have you ever talked to anybody? <laughs> you know, have you ever interacted with them, had a conversation? Have you ever engaged them as a person? You know, we're not there to judge. You know, some of the people may take the things we give them and sell them and go get spice or whatever. That's their choice. Right. We're not judging them. We're just trying to help them and let them know that somebody sees them. They're not invisible. So. And for whatever they're doing, they're in, it, it's just a, 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 they're in pain. So if, right. if they're in pain, then why not help ease somebody's pain, whatever that is? That's so right. we only have a few more minutes left in our show. Uh, what's next on this long journey that you've been on? You keep creating nonprofits and starting new initiatives. Uh, and the needs continue, as we've discussed. Uh, what's next in your world, Sylvia? Whatever God puts in front of me. You know? God puts doors in front of us, whether we walk through them or not, it's our choice. Yeah, I really believe that. And I don't know what tomorrow will hold, but whatever's there, I'm really going to walk into it. And meanwhile, you still have a practice that you... Well, you? I don't have my private practice. You don't have that anymore. But I am able to take care of the people at the free clinics with St. Joseph's Hospital and operate on them there. So you're spending most of your time there? Most of my medical time. Most of your medical time is there. Mm -hmm. And how often are you on the streets uh, helping the homeless? We do that once a week. On the There's weekends? a lot of preparation that goes into just going out on the streets. So again, that is an opportunity for folks who may be wondering, how can I, how can I help? They could actually, maybe they don't have the money to, 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 to donate to your organization, but maybe they have the time. Right. So let's uh, tell them again how to contact you if there's anybody out there who wants to help you with any of these initiatives. Well, um, our website is www.villagepartnersinternational.org, and you can go there and learn about all of the different programs that we do. Uh, you can come to the Hippie Bash. We'll be glad to talk to you there. On November 3rd, Hippie Bash at the West Shore Yacht Club, $50, dancing hors d'oeuvres, two drinks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a party with a purpose. I'm going to party got, with a purpose. We do have just a minute left, and we do. I want to read this email. If anyone can do amazing things, it's Dr. Campbell. Our world needs the compassion and caring to be contagious. She infects with love, faith, and hope. The inspiration she provides and the difference is vital to the survival of our hum, human race. The different in, inspiration she provides and the difference is vital to our human race, and I agree with that. You have a lot of fans out there. Oh. You do, and we have an, a, a caller, Kelly. I'm gonna let's go ahead and take this call really quick. So, Kelly, you're on the line. We've got about thirty Thank seconds. Thank you so much, Dr. Campbell is my elder sister, surgeon, breast surgeon. She also walked the line and rescued her. That she was her blood pressure or something was low and she was an angel just to step into my sister's room at St. Joseph Hospital and and revive her. And I'm also a, a, a patient of Dr. Campbell and the spirit of Dr. Campbell is what drives me to do what I do in my neighborhood. That's fantastic. You're inspiring people. So you're helping people and inspiring Sylvia. Thank you. Kelly, thank you for the call. We are at the last 10 seconds. 
Dr. Campbell, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for Vill having me. Villagepartnersinternational.org. This is WMNF Tampa.